we have these perceptions, right, or these perceived notions of what we are capable of, and we usually um, sell ourselves short. And I remind people that you have more in you than you think you do, and it's not cliche. I've seen it for years um, from people. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspect of running, and this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. Have you guys heard of Beam? I have been absolutely loving their products lately. Beam is a CBD company that's making waves in the running world by offering products that combine THC-free CBD with other high-quality ingredients. It was founded by two ex-professional athletes with the idea that everyone should have the chance to experience what better feels like. Whether you're sore or stressed, Beam is key for recovery and self-care. Try it for yourself with 15% off using the code FTLR from beamtlc.com. I recommend Beam Dream Powder or the Focus Capsules. Welcome back. I've got Yuri Hauswald joining me on the podcast today. Uh, Yuri, thanks so much for uh, for taking some time to chat. I'm super excited to to be on your cast. The last time I saw you was in person was the Olympic marathon trials in in Atlanta. That was a hell of a time. Uh, so we're going to be calling this episode for the long ride because you are a <laughs> long rider. So before yes. we before we dive too far into it, uh, who is Yuri? Oh man, that's a deep question. Loaded, how, loaded how much, question. How much? Yeah, how much time do we have here? About well, 50, 57 minutes. <laughs> okay, I'll try to give you my my elevator pitch here on who I am. So uh, I grew up on a farm in rural Northern California. Um, grew up without a TV. Had all the farm chores growing up. Um, sports were an integral part of my youth. I played baseball and soccer until I went to call, uh, high school. And then uh, my sports were lacrosse, football, and baseball. And lacrosse became my sport of choice and my ticket to college. I went to Cal Berkeley where I was the captain of the lacrosse team my junior and senior year and received multiple like all-star accolades and stuff like that uh, my junior and senior year. And got a degree in American literature with a minor in African-American literature. Towards the end of my tenure at Cal, I realized that uh, I wanted to be a school teacher, or I, I thought I wanted to be a school teacher, um, and had the opportunity upon graduating to go back to Pennsylvania. Uh, I packed up my Volkswagen van. I cut off my hair because I had shoulder-length locks. I didn't think they would take too kindly of, you know, the hippie guy from Northern California showing up at a prep school in Pennsylvania. Went back to Pennsylvania and worked in their summer program and was uh, made a favorable impression. And they hired me to stay on and work in their English department. I taught English as a second language and then um, like American Lit. And I, uh, my last year there, I got to design a course uh, on the beat generation, um, which was one of my passions. Pennsylvania is where I discovered the bike. I had I was not a cyclist up to that point. I mean, I knew how to ride a bike, but biking was not part of my athletic DNA at that point. Um, so that was like I was 24. Uh, and it's all due to a couple, Mark and Ellen Nelson, who were avid cyclists, huge mountain bikers, friends of mine, and they shared their passion with me, which is something you and I can circle back to at some point. But just this this idea of sharing your learnings, your passions, things you love doing with others. You never know how that might affect them, right? Or inspire them. And their sharing of their joy of mountain biking um, led me to where I am today, to some degree, you know, 25 years later. I, in my current, well, I got into mountain biking. We can talk about that. But my current job, I'm the elite athlete manager for Goo. Um, I wear a bunch of different hats. I race professionally uh, as a gravel endurance racer. Um, I write for some magazines here and there. 
do media camps. I'm the lead ride guide for the cyclist menu gravel camps, which happen all over the country. I just finished a couple camps down in Arizona. Um, and as we were just chatting about, I'm also an iFit, I guess, trainer making uh, inspirational riding videos now. So there's there's more there. We can unearth it later, but that's kind of, that's me in a nutshell, I guess. Yeah, I love it. You're like, you're doing what so many people dream of, which is like every day you wake up and you get to do what you love, whether it's, whether it's managing a team of athletes, whether it's doing your own athletic pursuits and training to get there or writing about it or inspiring other people to do it. Like, I feel like so many people listening are dreaming of a role in a life like yours. So talk to me about how you, how you've, gotten to the place you're at today and and this isn't a video interview and and people can't see your face right now but yuri is like beaming with uh what looks like pride and, and happiness um so talk to me talk to me about that what did you ever envision doing what you're doing today no that's why i wish people could see my face is like i never there was never a, a point when i was like like consciously like this is what i want to be doing, you know, like where I'm at right now, it's, you know, been a combination of obviously, you know, chasing my passions, which I wholeheartedly encourage people to do whatever they may be and chasing all of them as hard as you can. Um, it's, you know, obviously a bit of hard work. It's also, I think just, you know, boils down to the real simple thing of like being a good person. Um, and hopefully that doesn't sound cliche, but like doing what you say you're going to do, being kind, being responsible, those things, I think it gets lost in our hectic lives sometimes. Like those are sort of like foundational to like what helps build you up in your careers, in my opinion. Um, so it wasn't like a direct path to where I am either, you know, it's sort of been a zigzag all over the place. Uh, I taught elementary school for, after I taught back East at the prep school, I came back to California. I was totally bitten by the mountain biking race bug. This was a time when the Norba race circuit was still king. That circuit no longer exists anymore, but I had to have a day job because I wasn't that good at riding my bike, really. Um, and I taught elementary school for, for 12 years while I was also racing during spring break, following the race circuit all summer. I also started a junior mountain bike team at that time. So I was beginning to make inroads into the industry. And this was purely me, once again, just like not really knowing what I'm doing, but like, hey, I'm going to put together a proposal. I'm going to go to the trade show and I'm just going to go say hi to people, brands that I'm aware, know, know somebody at or am familiar with or love their products. And that's kind of how it got started. And then I started developing relationships with brands. Some of the brands I've been with for a long, long time as a racer personally, um, and then I managed a, a small mountain bike team for a boutique a uh, bike brand called Soulcraft, which was an offshoot out of Salsa Cycles, which is one of the biggest sort of bikepacking gravel brands right now. That brand actually got started here in my hometown. And like I said earlier, too, I, some of it is just dumb luck. You know, I stumbled into here in Petaluma, where I live, uh, a crew of folks that were some of the OG, like beginning, like mountain bike founders, you know, um, Scott Nickel, who started Ibis Cycles. Ross Schaefer, who started Salsa. Um, I knew Joe Breeze, who was part of the early crew with like Gary Fisher um, and Otis Guy and stuff like that. So it's just, you know, I just sort of stumbled into it. Um, but then, you know, just kept chasing, chasing that dream of eventually trying to turn pro. Not that those three letters were going to change anything right with my day job, because like I said, I wasn't an upper tier racer ever, never have been in my career um, and it wasn't like endorsements or, you know, big checks were going to come flowing in, but it was more of a personal goal for me to try to try to reach that final level, you know? Um, and so, yeah. And then, you know, goo was one of my nutrition sponsors. I've been with goo for 15 years as an athlete, and I've been in the office now for nine years, um, prior to going to goo. So I stepped out of the classroom in 2008 to take a job for my bike sponsor at that time, just another sort of one of those dumb luck opportunities. We're at the trade show in Sea Otter and I was hanging out with like all the international sales guys and some of the marketing guys from Marin Bikes, which is one of the founding bike companies too. They, I think they started in 86. Um, we were hanging out in the hotel and they're like, hey man, like you're good at talking with people and communicating. Like you should come work in our marketing department. And 
the thought of working in the bike industry had not crossed my mind prior to that. I mean, I loved racing bikes. I loved being on the circuit. I loved the community, the camaraderie, the family of it, like the traveling circus. But I'd never thought like I could have a job in the bike industry because, you know, I was an English major. I had no formal training in marketing or anything like that. And, you know, a couple of the guys were like, yeah, yeah, you should, you should come work for us. And I was sort of disillusioned with teaching at that time, a little bit fried. And I think that was in, that was in April of 2008. And I decided to take the leap. And when the school year ended, that was my last year teaching. And I, and I, and I went to work for Marin Bikes. And I think this speaks to, you know, this idea of, um, you know, taking that leap of faith sometimes in, in our, in our athletic lives, our work lives, right. Taking that challenge that maybe scares you a bit, makes you pucker up and think like, I don't know if I can do that. Um, and I found that I've had a lot of moments like that in my life, whether it was athletically or with work where you then make the most gains, right. You, you gain the most from, from challenging yourself like that or doing something that scares you a little bit. There's a lot to unpack there, but uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, love- yeah. I'm a talker, dude, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I love all that. So um, people always apologize. They're like, sorry for the long answer. I'm like, it's a podcast. That's the intent. Um, <laughs> so what I what I love there is what I like to call the right place at the right time with the right experience. And that's how I got my job at Inside Tracker. Like, I wasn't looking for a job, but I happened to get lucky at a networking event and I had the right experience to open the door. And I think that so much, particularly in the in the outdoor space, is about who you know. It's not necessarily what you know. It's like where you want to be and what you do and what makes you tick and connecting that with the people who can get shit done. Um, and so I love, I love that story, like an English major going to work in the bike industry, um, as their marketing manager, as the marketing manager. Yeah. It's like, yeah. okay. Communication skills. Pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So talking about the intersection of being an elite athlete and working with elite athletes, what has been the, the biggest surprise for you? Well, oh man. I have to say, I I do have the, I feel like, you know, the best job in, in the industry. And a lot of my friends like to joke that they don't think I ever work, right? Because all they do is see me ride my bike and traveling around. But that's actually kind of part of my work somehow, which is really unique and rare. Because one of the, one of the main gripes in the bike industry, and you may hear this in, in your, you know, segment too, is you know, as soon as I got into the bike industry, I, I wasn't able to ride my bike anymore, right? Because they, they have to work so hard or this. And then that's totally true. And I, and I realize I'm in a really fortunate, lucky position. I would like to throw out the caveat that I don't consider myself an elite athlete, but I do have a tremendous amount of athletic experience, particularly on the endurance side of things that I think allows me to identify, uh, communicate, like, commiserate or have empathy for what all of my athletes are going through. And I have the deepest respect for what they all do. And I deal with athletes from, you know, from the queen pain, Rebecca rush to like Marinda Carfrey and everything in between, you know, so cyclists to try to ultra runners. I mean, I just had a rad chat two weeks ago with Luke Nelson, who did the Barclays marathon, um, future podcast guest. Thank you <laughs> for sure. Luke is rad. Um, but you know, I guess one of the main surprises is, or, and maybe I'm just lucky, but they're all, they're, they're just awesome people like you and I, you know, they're just regular people who happen to be extremely gifted, focused, um, really talented in in their respective athletic field or whatever it is they do, um, driven, I've really only had like positive experiences with my athletes over my nine years at Goo. Um, and it's truly been an honor to, to, to work with them and, and just, you know, like I said, feel like I have a deeper connection with them because I understand, um, what it's like to be an athlete. I understand what it's like to fight for sponsorship because I have to do that personally as an athlete, because outside of my day job with Goo, I do manage sponsor relations for me, Yuri, the brand or whatever you want to call it. You know what I mean? Like bike sponsor, tire, clothing, all that stuff that's separate from goo. 
um, which I feel like just gives me a better sense of what my athletes are going through and hopefully helps me interact with them better on all levels, whether it's contract stuff or social media asks, basic communications about what's going on, things like that. Um, so it's really been a, a truly awesome ride, um, you know, pun intended, <laughs> to be able to parlay what I have loved in sports to then get to work with some of the best athletes uh, in the world. You know, really inspiring and awesome. And to be able to call them, you know, I, I mean, most of them are friends. You know, I mean, Luke, I'd never met Luke in person, but I did the podcast and then he knew I was in Moab and he was coming back from something. So we had like a 30 minute catch up in the parking lot in Moab before I was going back out on another shoot just so we could meet in person. It was really rad up and get some more details about his event, you know, there in Tennessee. And so, yeah, it's been a rad ride. And uh, I just found out, you know, yesterday that most likely I'll be going to Kona. Um, you know, which wasn't a, a done deal, obviously with COVID and other things happening. So, you know, go back and get to cheer on Rennie. We'll have a few other athletes, Sheree Grunfeld, who I believe will be 77, um, and is a legend in the Ironman world. And she and I, I interviewed her earlier this year. We sort of made a pinky promise that if she decided to go back, that I would make sure I went to Kona too. So I'm trying to uphold that promise so I can go cheer for her and support her in any way. But um yeah, it, 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 it's really, really rewarding. And, um, sometimes I get like goosebumps or tear up a little bit, uh, in all seriousness, when I see them succeed, because, you know, obviously they're not my kids, but like, uh, I don't know. I, I just, I'm proud of them. Um, cause I know what it takes to get to that level and the commitment and the sacrifice that they have to make to perform like that. Yeah, I completely agree with all of that. So I'm I'm right now hiring for a couple of roles um, at my day job, and I see the the athlete component as being a very critical piece of like a skill that that is a huge benefit to being an employee at a company that works in the outdoor industry. Uh, I have a friend, Josh Emder, who is um, he's a concierge uh, MD, basically. And we ran together uh, a couple of years ago and I was like, what, what are you training for? He's like, my goal is to be able to run with my clients, many of whom are professional athletes and not get dropped. <laughs> so like run, be fast enough to, to run with professional athletes so that you can be a part of the whole experience, right? Like it's exactly the, like, I get it. I'm, I'm in this world. I understand and personally, I think my own training allows me to be a better employee because I, for the same exact reason, like I can relate to these athletes. Like I was talking with um, Shalane Flanagan about my my goal of running sub 250. And like she gets that. She understands yeah. setting the goal that is big and scary. Her marathon's, you know, 30 minutes faster than mine, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because it's the process. It's not the outcome. Yeah, I would also say I got a couple thoughts there. You know, athletes were good at, you know, maybe analyzing our strengths and weaknesses, right? Figuring out what you need to do to maximize both, uh, create a plan that's realistic, right, for your skill set. This is exactly what I used to do for my elementary school kids, right? I mean, not everybody's an A student, myself included, but you figure out, you know, what their skills, you know, what their strengths and weaknesses are, and then, you know, try to give them some tools so they can perform to their personal best, which is a mantra that I started, you know, singing way back when, because I used, I tried to use my racing as a model for them that yeah. winning the most important thing, because for the littles, I taught first, second and third grade to them. It was so black and white, either I won or I was a loser. And, you know, they, you, seriously, <laughs> you know, every your last. <laughs> yep. Yep. Every weekend I'd come back to be like, Mr. Yuri, Mr. Yuri, did you win? And be like, no, I got fifth, but here's what I learned or here's what was really fun about it. Um, circling, and then circling back to you saying, being able to run with your athletes. I had an experience earlier this year with Keegan Swenson, who is probably hopefully going to get the Olympic nod for the U S for the mountain bike. He's fighting with Chris Blevins for that spot, but he's one of the top mountain bikers in the country, in the world. He's a goo athlete. He's a friend. I've known him for a long time, but I was in Tucson and he's like, Hey, let's go out for a training ride. And, and so like, part of me is like, Ooh, am I going to be able to, 
kid because he had he had a big day. He's like, oh, yeah, we're going to go out and do 70 miles, which actually ended up being 100. <laughs> so <laughs> thanks, Keegan. Uh, but at the end of that 100 miles, like you couldn't have smacked the smile off my face because I was so stoked that I'd be able to hang on his wheel. Granted, I sat on his wheel for, you know, probably 80 of those miles. Um, it was just one of those really uplifting, rad experiences where like, this is a killer job. You know, I need to keep staying fit so I can continue to do this as, as long as possible because, you know, we chit chatted about work and this and that, and it was just super fun to be able to connect with your athletes in that way. I feel like it gives you a little bit more street cred too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I ran, I ran, uh, an hour with Kara Goucher last week and like, yeah. like we just talk the whole time. And the, and like you said, these people are just normal humans. And yeah. I got like literally 30 messages after this, like, Oh, how cool is it? You get to run with Kara Goucher. And it's like, it is fucking cool. And yeah. she's a totally normal down to earth, real person. And she just happens to have run really fast in her career. And, and that's why, you know, that's why she has the platform that she, well, she's a great person and she runs fast. Um, but it's like, yeah, you you couldn't wipe the smile off my face after we finished that. And and the funniest part of of training with elite athletes or running with or biking with elite athletes is encountering other people on those activities. Like to see other people running towards us, like with a huge smile on their face, like that's Kara. Like I'm gonna say hi to her. Like I'm in Boulder. Like everybody's a professional athlete here. And it's still, and it still happens. And then, yeah. and then at the end of this run, we're, we're walking through the parking lot and, and some woman comes up to us and is like, you guys training for anything? Like clearly either was playing it so cool or didn't know who Kara was. And Kara's like, no, not really. And she's like, well, I am, I'm doing some five K's and 10 K's and half Iron Man And like, and so they were like chit chatting about, about that. And it's like, this is, this is the point. Like, who gives a shit how fast you run or ride? Like that doesn't matter. It's the pursuit of excellence and the pursuit of your own personal best that if you're running a two hour marathon, a three hour marathon, a five hour marathon, a seven hour marathon, if it takes you four hours to ride a hundred miles, if it takes you eight hours to ride a hundred miles, it doesn't matter. It's the pursuit yeah. of getting better that, that makes everyone relatable. Yeah. And sort of a, an offshoot of that point too, is, um, people often ask me like what I look for in athletes, you know, when we're thinking about, you know, maybe expanding our athlete roster or not. And I, and I've said this for years, cause I, I speak at like high school mountain bike camps and stuff like that. I've worked closely with the bear dev national program and out of the gate, I tell them I could care less about your results. Right. I want to know that I'm working with like a good person who can engage with the folks. Like you saw that example with Kara and that person, you know, I want somebody who's a great ambassador for our brand. And if you get on the podium, that's a bonus, but I'd rather have you be somebody that people seek out after an event, whether you're on the podium or not, because they know you're a good human being. Those are the kind of folks I want to be involved with. So like the Mike Wardians of the world. Exactly. <laughs> The Mike Wardians, you know, the Rebecca Rushes, like I look at, you know, I'm obviously really biased, but I look at the roster that we have created at Goo and I'm super proud of it because everybody on that roster is very approachable, super knowledgeable in their field, um, inspirational in their own ways. And yeah, you have, you know, I call Mike Wardian the energizer bunny because that guy doesn't gather any moss. He's always moving. And he's always got a smile on his face. He's super approachable. He's willing to work in the booth at Goo events. I mean, things like that go a long ways. He's really good about giving me updates, you know, about his calendar and race finishes and press. And you'd be surprised at how hard that side of being an athlete is for many athletes, you know, checking in with their sponsors from time to time, like, hey, here's some press I got, or hey, here's a couple photos. I was just here or that. Like Mike Warding is a gem for sure. Agreed. I've seen, I saw Mike when he thought he lost his car keys, which would, which would put a million, you know, 99% of the population like into a tizzy and like super angry. And he was just like, 
Nah, well, I'll, I'll deal with it later. Let's do this podcast. We were out in uh, in Tahoe. Um, oh, was, nice. It was right before Broken Arrow. Or he had just raced Broken Arrow, I think. And uh, he lost his car keys in the process. And he, he found them afterwards. But it was like, yeah, let's do the podcast. I'll deal with it later. And he found it later because he's a great person. And karma is uh, is good to him. <laughs> it, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is a real, he's, he's one of my favorites for sure. Not that I have any favorites, but like, <laughs> if we had to, like, he's one of my favorites for sure. Definitely. And, and from a, from a brand partner standpoint, or just from a, a, a like fan standpoint, any of these athletes are approachable. And, and the idea, as you said, like, they're just normal humans who, who care so much. Like if you go up to Mike and talk to him, He'll ask you questions about your training. And then if you see him again in two years, he'll ask you about that thing you talked about two years ago. Um, before I knew him well, uh, my dad and I ran with him at the Shamrock Marathon, like a little shakeout um, in 2015, I want to say. And I didn't know him well until probably 2016 or 2017. And um, he asked me like two years later, he's like, he asked about something my dad said two years later. <laughs> He's like, how's that thing going? And I don't even remember what we were talking about, but he did. Yeah. I, I will say Mike, Mike is a very rare breed. He's, he's definitely, you know, a, when it comes to pros, he's a pros pro in my opinion, in my book, in all aspects of how I've, um, you know, been able to interact with him over the years. Definitely top notch. For sure. Thanks again to Beam for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. As the days start to warm up and get longer, a cool down routine in the evening becomes even more important. Did you know that you can get a subscription to Beam's Dream Powder? It's what I use most nights before bed to help with a refreshing night's sleep. When you subscribe, you'll get the Dream Blend with a bunch of perks like even better pricing, free shipping, a free mug, and a drink frother just for signing up. Dream helps me wind down at night and it's made with compounds like melatonin and magnesium that support a better night's sleep. Make sure to use the code FTLR at checkout for an extra 15% off the already discounted 20% off monthly rate. And now back to our conversation. So switching gears back, back over to you. Yeah. Um, sure. One of, the, one of the topics I like to discuss on the podcast, so the, the whole goal of this podcast is to understand what has allowed people to get to where they are, whether they're an elite athlete, a uh, working professional who has done something awesome or isn't in a cool place like what are the takeaways that those who are listening can can learn so a topic i like to talk about a lot is success and defining success so first i'm gonna ask what what does success mean to you man what does success mean to me uh i think at the end of the day really to make it like super simple like success for me is you know, maybe reach not, I don't, I don't set out like a lot of like a like priority races or particularly now in the, you know, as, as I'm hitting sort of the tail end of my racing relevance. Um, but I think success for me now is like, am I happy? Do I have a smile on my face after whatever it is that I have done? And I think, you know, if you boil it down to what we all do here, it needs to be fun. It needs to continue to be fun because if it's fun, it's going to inspire you to keep chasing those goals, whatever they might be, you know, as we age, we need to modify those and make them continue to keep them, you know, realistic. But for me, you know, success is, is keeping it fun. And for, for like where I'm at right now in my career, that's basically, I, I try to ride my bike almost every day of the week if I can and interact with my community, particularly now as things are starting to open up more and, um, yeah. So success for me is like keeping, keeping it fun. But when, you know, I was working with a coach, which was a couple years ago, you know, leading up to, um, my 2015 unbound, it's no longer, or back then it was, as we know, it was DK, but now it's unbound that big gravel event, you know, success back then was, you know, following my coach's plan to T. Um, but that also meant that there was a little bit less of that fun factor in there, but it was a goal I had set my sights on really like with a laser focus. Like this is my event that I want to try to get. He's, he's talking about a, a 200 mile gravel ride that he won. Thank you. Yeah. In 2015 in Kansas, um, it had a different name back then. Uh, so success back then was, you know, 
following those plans, hitting those wattage numbers, doing all of that. And then, you know, crossing that line in first position was, was huge. Uh, but as I was saying, as, as I've becoming less relevant or racing has become less important to me, which we could talk about, I think sort of COVID this past year has helped remind me that, you know, I don't need to race anymore to find success or find happiness. It's like, it's riding my bike, riding my bike in beautiful places with amazing people if I can. And then, um, I've been doing a lot of camps lately, uh, and that reminds me of my years in the classroom, right? Where you get to share your passion, your knowledge, hopefully give people some tools, some skills, uh, and then see them succeed, apply them, right? Whether I'm, you know, riding in, in Patagonia or in Kansas at their camps, um, that's where I get a lot of reward and fulfillment from now in my career. Um, I'm still competitive, obviously. Um, but like racing is, is taking more of a backseat for me, which makes sense at my age and stuff like that. So, yeah, the fun component is can't be overstated. Um, I did a podcast with Aisha Pratt-Lear, who's a professional mid distance runner. And she basically said, if I wasn't still having fun every day, I wouldn't be doing this. And, um, like she's having so much fun that we had to reschedule our first podcast because uh, Corey McGee hit a an 800 meter PR in in training and they went out for mimosas to celebrate. And I'm yeah. like, I'm like, hell yeah, that's the best possible excuse I've ever heard for needing to reschedule something. Like yeah. you're a professional athlete, you're being paid to compete and to win and perform, but for you, fun is for at the forefront and and definitely so many amateurs myself included in the past get so stuck on numbers and metrics and miles and power and watts and all this stuff and you forget that like we're doing this for fun like it doesn't matter at the end of the day a hundred percent agree because i think back to you know when i got into the bike which i shared with you at the beginning of this is because some friends you know, wanted to share the fun with me. And it was this, you know, new adventure in the woods there and being outdoors and pushing my physical limits. And, you know, then I, you know, the competitive side of me kicked in and, you know, for 15 or so years, like racing was important to me, but it wasn't the end all be all because it wasn't my day job. That's for sure. I obviously, like I said, I wasn't fast. Uh, you know, my paycheck or whatever wasn't dependent upon results. So, um, fun should be at the foundation, I feel like, of any of our athletic pursuits. Otherwise, then, um, yeah, it just why, why, why do it if it's not fun anymore? Yeah. So the, the whole basis of this podcast came about after a conversation I had with a goo athlete, um, Zach Miller. And love Zach, the great guy and, uh, ask him about why he, why he runs. He'll give you a, a 10 minute answer that'll cause you to start a podcast. Um, and, <laughs> and that's literally, that's literally like why this podcast exists. I ran the Manitou incline with him and then we went to dinner and uh, first of all, talk about eating his training. He put on a clinic, <laughs> he, he put down the, the biggest, um, bowl of Mexican food I'd ever seen in my life and then ate half of mine uh, as well. And I asked him, I was like, why, why do you do this? He's like, man, I'm just having so much fun exploring limits. And the conversation, his answer was 10 minutes long, but um, that was the, that was the 10 second summary of it. I do. I mean, I do have, I don't know if it's an addiction or an affinity for pushing my physical limits. I, I always have, you know, even from a younger age, um, there was just something rewarding or fulfilling about it. I mean, I grew up playing team sports and I think that's, you know, that was, it's, it's its own family of sorts. And, you know, you want to show up and not let down your teammates. So you want to bring your personal best every day and, um, everybody kind of raises each other up or props each, each other up. And, um, yeah, it's just, uh, what is yeah, it about the, the, the exploring limits that, that you love though? Uh, it's a solo well, pursuit. Yeah, it's a, it is for sure. Um, you know, maybe it's the, maybe it's a bit of the endorphin high. It's the, like I said earlier, doing something that, that scares you a little bit. You're not so sure you can do it. Uh, physically, and that's part of the the challenge or the excitement behind it. 
Yeah, I think those are sort of the the main things for me. And just, you know, I, I, I like to challenge myself physically. I always have. Um, and I've kind of, you know, as I've aged, I've sort of keep redrawing the line of what I thought was possible for me. And, and some of that follows with what I said earlier about, you know, taking these challenges or biting off something, you know, a little bit more than you thought you could chew. And, you know, when I first started my cycling career, it was short cross country races, you know, 25 to 30 miles. And then there was a longer discipline that was 40 to 60 that sounded interesting and new and a big challenge. And I wasn't sure I could do it. And I did that and was like, oh, wow, I'm actually, you know, I'm a diesel engine, but like, I do better at these longer events. Not that I'm not a fast twitch kind of guy. And then um, somebody dared me to do a 24 hour solo mountain bike race in 2005. And I'd never done one before. And I was like, Hmm, that sounds like fun. And my wife was there and the guy who dared me was my mechanic. And then that ended up opening a whole nother door for me. And I could keep going on down that path of different events. We could talk about more, but that have sort of like opened my eyes and, and shown me. And I think this is something that I try to communicate to a lot of people is that we have these perceptions, right? Or these perceived notions of what we are capable of. And we usually um, sell ourselves short. And I remind people that you have more in you than you think you do. And it's not cliche. I've seen it for years um, from people. Um, I've attended all of the unbound camps um, in years past and that's one of the stories that I that I try to share with them is that they have more in them than they think they do. And our mind, you know, Alex Hutchinson's book, Endure, that last chapter is all about unlocking the power of the mind and how that is sort of like the last one of the last barriers, right, to truly unleashing or unlocking uh, your athletic potential. So I think that the pursuit of excellence in endurance sports is what allows people to be better in every other aspect of their life. It's this exactly what you're saying. Like you can do so much more than you think possible. So I read, I read endure while I was in a speed block and approaching a, a mile time trial. And I PR'd my mile by like, I don't know, like eight or nine seconds, which is a lot. And that is. in, in that, in that third and fourth lap, I was thinking about what I was reading in this book. And it's like, you think your, your brain will limit you so much more, so much earlier than, than your actual potential. And, and for me, the, the belief of my coach of like, no, you're actually capable of like X, Y, Z has allowed me to suspend my own beliefs of what I think is possible. Like he thinks I can run a two thirty something marathon. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, that's not yeah. me. He's like, yes, it is. <laughs> and yeah. and it's like, who cares if I can run that time or not? It's like, I'm going to do whatever I can to find out. And again, it's in a silo. It absolutely does not matter. But what I do for work or what I do in life, like it carries over there. Like we, go ahead. I was going to say that journey, your personal journey chasing that, will help you in other aspects of your life because then you can share that knowledge, what you've learned with athletes that you're working with. It's, it's cool how like so much like positive inspiration and knowledge can sort of spider out from our personal pursuits of things too. Right. Yeah. So, so in my role for work, um, it's very metric based and the, the numbers are huge and, and I've been at the company for over six years. And if you compare the numbers from six years ago to where they are now, it's like a whole different ball game. It is a different ball game. And the numbers of where we want to be in, in two to five years, it's a completely different ball game. So here I am taking my learnings from just keep showing up as Den Des London says, like day yes. after day after day after day, like you don't eat an elephant in one bite. You don't achieve the goals in one bite. And so it's like, you just suspend the belief of like, this is impossible. And instead focus on, I'm just going to do what I need to do and the rest will, will happen. Fall in love with the, with the process yes. and the outcome may or may not happen, but you'll get closer yeah. where you want to be. Con consistency. I think consistency is just overlooked sometimes in the whole journey or the part of the process. Like 
being consistent with your training. Like you asked me if I had, I think earlier about how I sort of got to where I am, but it's just, you know, I, I try to consistently ride between like eight and 10,000 miles a year. And I've, I've done that for like a decade now. And that adds up. I have a lot of residual fitness now that has helped get me to where I'm at, but there's so much to like, just, just showing up every day, like you said, and, and putting that foot in front of the other foot. And then hopefully you just keep taking those, those steps towards that goal, right. Towards that elephant, right. Which you can't eat in one bite. You keep taking those little steps and you're taking those nibbles and eventually you've consumed the whole pachyderm. Yeah, (laughs) totally. So I did a podcast (laughs) with Jason Fitzgerald. He invited me on to talk about my experience of two months at 10,000 feet and the the wild um, progress I saw from a training standpoint. And I was like, look, I haven't done anything spectacular. I've just been consistent. And I do my five runs a week and I, I sleep and I eat. And the sum of, of that on a consistent basis of being good consistently outperforms somebody who is great infrequently. Exactly. That's why, you know, earlier I gave the caveat that I don't consider myself an elite athlete because I don't think I'm gifted. I have shown up, I've done the hard work and I've enjoyed the journey. And, um, it's, you know, led me to where I am now. It's those little bites of that elephant, I guess, for the past two decades. Yeah. It's the, uh, we're getting to some good elephants. Um, so, so (laughs) fast, fast forward another five to 10 years. What are you really proud of? Oh man. Well, uh, I mean, I guess, you know, a couple things would be, you know, maybe feeling like I've had some impact on, uh, youth development in cycling, um, kids coming up through the ranks, whether they decide to chase the, the pro path or whether they go into the industry or trail advocacy, you know, I'd like to, you know, feel like in five years that I have created a really rad group, which I have right now of athletes at goo that are, um, you know, eat, live and breathe everything that we sort of stand for as a, as a company, you know, which is, you know, being your personal best and whatever your athletic pursuits are, right. Just, we sort of believe in, um, movement, whether that's walking around the block or riding 200 miles on, on gravel, um, and I guess, you know, I would just like to, you know, in five, you know, five years or whatever it is, just be remembered as somebody who was, um, who did a good job in my role and was passionate and, you know, maybe inspired others to, to chase their dreams and, you know, um, take some big bites out of things that scared them and and then be happily surprised at what they accomplished. Very cool. Um, so last year I got into gravel riding and as did many, many, I saw many that on people. the socials. Uh, yeah. yeah. As did many people, as evidenced by the the difficulty in buying gravel bikes, um, and I freaking loved it. It was so fun uh, as a as a fun way to experience trail the trails I've been on in an entirely different way. Uh, here we are coming up on another uh, late spring, early summer, and I'm gonna guess that gravel riding is just gonna be even more popular. So, for those who are listening, that are runners looking to expand their repertoire of, of athletic pursuits. Uh, what is, what does Yuri have to say, uh, in terms of tips for getting started, uh, on, on a gravel bike? Yeah. So the first tip is you don't have to have a specific gravel bike to go out and enjoy these roads. You know, there's, if you have a mountain bike, put skinnier tires on it. Uh, road bike might be a little bit trickier, as you know, like unless tire clearance is the big thing. So with gravel riding, I mean, if you, you can ride your road bike on gravel roads, obviously, but being able to tolerate wider tires will sort of dictate where you can or can't go on your road bike. But the beauty of gravel is that it's not technical for the most part, like mountain biking. Um, you're off the paved road, so you don't have to worry about motorists harassing you. And you don't, like I said, have to have a specific gravel bike because you could just convert your mountain bike with some skinnier tires and go out and, and enjoy it, you know, beyond that, uh, I mean, there's, dude, there's so many different types of bikes and saddles and shoes and all these, these crazy things that, uh, you can get, but 
I think, you know, gravel, one of the things that I find most enchanting about it is it allows you to see places much like trail running that most folks don't get to see. You can ride through history, uh, get to these off, off the beaten path type zones where there's no cars or people just sort of the, um, you know, just find emptiness and beauty. Uh, and I've been fortunate enough, you know, to be able to ride in some amazing places on my gravel bike, uh, over the last decade. Um, so I don't know, we can keep riffing on that one too. (laughs) Yeah. The, the lack of cars or lack of cars going fast is, is fantastic. And for those who are new cyclists, hopefully it's a little less intimidating that way. Um, when you don't have to worry about cars zipping by you who, you know, they're texting or they're driving over the speed limit or whatnot. Or they're angry that you're out on the road <laughs> that, you exist. <laughs> that you exist on your bike. I mean, for example, I just finished, as we talked about earlier offline, I was in Arches National Park shooting for iFit, highly trafficked park, 1.5 million visitors per year go to Arches. And it was the most nerve wracking riding I have ever done while trying to conduct a point of view, you know, workout with cars zipping by you. And we actually had to pause a segment because a motorist came by, kind of buzzed me and the cameraman and then, you know, dropped a few expletives on us. And I just looked up and I was like, dude, we got to pause for a second. I got to regroup here. Like this just threw me off big time. Um, So yeah, gravel, you don't have to deal with that. I mean, you go to a place like Idaho for Rebecca's private Idaho or Kansas for unbound. I mean, there are hundreds of miles of forest roads or farm roads all on like grid systems where you might not see a car all day. How do you find these roads? Uh, well, that's, that's interesting because there aren't really a lot of resources for gravel riding. There is a, an, um, a website called gravel map, which is half decent where you could like plug in a location and it'll pop up any rides, but it's like user generated. So it's dependent on people uploading their rides in that particular region to their site. Um, I mean, if you just, I think Googled, you know, gravel races and started looking at like, you know, Mid-South or Rooted or, you know, there's a whole series up in Oregon and maybe looking at at their routes to give you some ideas. Uh, I mean, Strava heat maps, although I don't I don't use those just because I'm familiar with a lot of the gravel around here. Those might be helpful for folks who are just getting into gravel. Um, they can hit me up on the socials. I'll give them any knowledge that, you know, I, I have, I love being able to, you know, give people, uh, you know, pointers or insider tips on, on great gravel rides. I mean, to that point on the way home, I was just, I'm coming back from Utah. Um, I stopped on the I-70. I don't know if you've ever driven the I-70 out of Utah. It's kind of just like desert on all sides, but what you don't realize out there, you're near the San Rafael swell, which is one of the most unique geologic features in the United States. It can be seen from space. I've never ridden there. One of my buddies was like, dude, you need to check out this buckhorn wash road. So I stopped, didn't even like look on a map or anything. I just got on it and I did like this 50 mile out and back into like a mini Grand Canyon kind of zone, saw one car the whole time. (laughs) So yeah, there's a lot of ways people can discover. I mean, you know, be curious, start poking around on maps, try to try to find those roads that are off the the main highways or whatever. But um, that's just one of the I think that's one of the reasons why gravel is is blowing up so much in the last five, six years is lack of cars and just this this freedom out there to explore these these places that you normally wouldn't. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, So I built up a gravel bike with my dad last summer and we rode it all around the Cape. And um, what was so cool about it is you can ride on the roads and then you can see a road that looks cool, that's dirt and go down it. (laughs) Yeah. And that might connect to another paved road that you know. So now you're like, oh, wow, I could like bypass this segment on this dirt. And it just starts like, you know, it's like choose your own adventure, right? Stories. It starts unlocking these different doors for you to to, to see new zones. And it, it's that's one of the things that I really enjoy now is, you know, as I, as I said, I'm, you know, becoming less of a racer and more of, I guess, you know, an adventure or whatever. But this ride coming home. I was so stoked to be out there in the middle of nowhere desert like Utah, but seeing this incredible landscape, it was mind blowing. Um, And there's regions like that all over the place. So yeah, 
the gravel bikes allow us to just, yeah, get off the, the beaten path a little bit more and you're not on mountain bike trails. So it's not technical and, 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 th- you know, might keep some people away from the sport. Cause I know mountain biking can be a little intimidating in that way too. So. Yes, for sure. Um, well, I've got my gravel bike out here in Colorado. So, uh, if you make it one, one more state over, we'll have to, we'll have to go for a ride. Um, so if, if people want to, f- yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, dude, east of you, right? I mean, you have a massive grid of country dirt roads, to my knowledge. I haven't done a ton of riding in Boulder, but like you go east towards Kansas and you've got dirt roads, farm roads for days. For sure. Well, if we want to follow along with you and your adventures, where can can we find you? Uh, I am Y Housewald, H-A-U-S-W-A-L-D on Instagram. I think I'm Yuri Housewald on Twitter. Um, I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook, but I'm Yuri Housewald. There may be there may be somebody called Salty the Yeti out there too that exists on socials. I'm not totally sure that hasn't been confirmed. Um, but yeah, I and yeah, so that's where people can find me. Like I said, message me. I'm happy to share share my knowledge and stoke with folks um, around gravel or riding or training or nutrition. I'm not a trained nutritionist, so um, take you got that. Roxanne for that. <laughs> We've got Roxanne, we've got Magda, but I do have, you know, two decades plus of using our products uh, to some success. So, yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Well, <laughs> <Yes>. uh, oh, <laughs> to some success. Yeah. Great success. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, this has been a blast and uh, can't wait to share a ride with you at some point, uh, hopefully yes. this year. Totally, man. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. I love, am I the first non-runner on your show or have you had non-runners before? I've had, uh, I had Caroline Burkle, who's a swimmer. Um, okay. I think you may be the first cyclist. So this will be nice. Hers like was it. for the long swim. You're for the long ride. <laughs> awesome. I love it. Yeah. I, I, you know, and you were saying earlier, you know, about how I interact with my athletes while I am not a runner. I mean, I knew immediately who Kara Gaucher is because I've had to learn and educate myself because I work with those athletes. So it's been really fun to sort of expand my knowledge of different athletes and what they're doing on the run side of things, which is, um, you know, kept me on my toes and kept my job interesting and fun. There we go. All yeah. about the fun. All right, Yuri, All thanks so much. And uh, we'll see you out there. Thanks, Jonathan. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. 